rename that Grace Fellowship. That sounds good to me. Hello, um, Millersburg Baptist Fellowship. <laughs> Millersburg Baptist Church. Hi. Good to be here. It is a pleasure. And I'm amazed, as we sing Amazing Grace, I am amazed that we're here again. It is uh, truly a treat to be able to to be asked to come up here. I, I definitely don't deserve it, but I'll sure take it. Every time I'm asked, I say, when? <laughs> so, thank, thank you guys again, Dennis and, and Church, because uh, I can't wait to get into this study that we're doing tonight. Um, it's always, well, what do you want to do? And you've had books before that, that we did, and this time you said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know. So, And I got to thinking, well, what's my most favorite chapter in all the Bible? And um, I guess I'll ask you that question, since I haven't handed out any sheets or anything like that. But I'm waiting for my bookmark to come up here. Oh, well, I was waiting. There we go. Yeah, I don't want to be gypped out of that. Good. I like this. You know, that's one of the all-time greatest verses in all the Bible. I don't know how many times I use it in a week, but I bet you you guys use it all the time too, right? Romans 8.28? Oh, boy, it's one of the best counseling verses there ever is when people are going through tough times. And, you know, you want to time that when you, when you say it, but um, this is really good. Like this. This was worth the trip up here. <laughs> Even through all that rain. You know, every time I come up here, there's always one week where there's some kind of terrible storm. Like one year it was like I, I stopped in Fulton because I realized on the radio they said there were tornado warnings out. And there actually were. And it was going and then they said it was coming right through Millersburg. So I didn't come any further. I call up Dennis, you know, and he says, That's yeah, just fine here. You know <laughs> trees didn't have any leaves left. <laughs> I don't know if they have leaves at that time. But we're a little bit later than we usually are. I think most of the time we're in March, right? It's a little, and it's just like now the leaves are all out, and it's perfectly green. Spring has sprung. Yes. So we're uh, celebrating that with you. I like this. All right. Thank you. Maybe that will make me remember where I'm at. Let me turn the pages here. This is a. Uh, out of a chapter, which I'm going to ask you, what would you want out of all the chapters in the Bible if you were on a desert island and, and you had just one chapter of the Bible with you? What would you pick? And it's probably something different than what I have here tonight. Or it might be this one. But this is a jewel, and it's uh, something that uh, sticks out. It's like a diamond uh, set in a... Beautiful gold setting and a gold ring. This diamond is just multifaceted and it just grabs it. You know, I mean, it's sparkling. And uh, this chapter that we're dealing with, um, I don't know, it may be the one you're thinking of. You might have other ones. I know there are plenty of chapters in the Bible that you could claim. And I think of Isaiah 53. That'd be a good one to have. And uh, Ephesians 1. Oh, that's one of my favorites. And wherever I'm studying at the time, that happens to be my most favorite chapter. <laughs> but right now, I'm going to say my, my most favorite chapter, or if I was on a desert island, I'd love to have Romans 8. Uh, there's no chapter of Scripture that reaches, I believe, the sustained levels that it, that it covers uh, in, this, in this particular chapter. It describes the Christian life, and uh, it goes from death all the way to eternal life uh, everlasting. It goes from justification to glorification. Amen. And then it goes from our trials and our triumphs, the sufferings. And uh, so Romans 8 really gives a great picture of the gospel, of salvation and its completeness. And of course it has that golden chain in there which is just incredible. And I can't wait to get to that, but we're not going to get there tonight. But uh, the gospel is uh, the middle of your life, or the beginning of your life, and at the uh, middle part of your life, all the way till the time that Christ comes back and on in to the kingdom of God. And uh, so Romans 8 can shape the very understanding that we have of the gospel, can, uh, can shape us into the fact of who we are being in Christ, and whose we are as we belong to Him. 
And I think as we look at this, we see our union with Christ because of the Holy Spirit. The Father is in here. I mean, you know, the whole triune God is all uh, involved. And so when we uh, when we see this, we say, well, what's our aim in uh, this chapter that we're going to do in the next few weeks? Well, we want to have a deeper appreciation for the gospel and have a stronger desire to glorify our great God. That's pretty simple, isn't it? So that's that's where our motive is. That's where we're we're heading to to help our worship of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, and that's what life is about: worshiping, worshiping Him, glorifying Him. Uh, tell you what, we're going to try to cover thirteen verses tonight, and I know you guys are laughing inside, but uh, we're we're going to try that. We're going to see how far we get, and if we don't, it's okay. Uh, because I didn't give you any outline, so I can go as far or as little as I want and be okay, right? <laughs> he told me not to give you any outline. I said, don't be shy. Don't do that. Just go as God leads yeah. and, and do. Always, always like to have that, and that way I'm accountable to you, and that will keep us. But, but we know where we're at, so uh, fantastic. Um, let's just let's just read this. See what God has for us today. Let's let's see how God, this almighty creator of the universe, is going to speak to us tonight. Yeah, through His Word. Through His Word and His Spirit. Verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh... God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit... For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren... We are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Ah, Wow, what a chapter. Get into a lot of doctrine here. We get into a lot of application. It's just... All this stuff that can be helpful to us. Well, the first four verses, we're going to put up here, no condemnation. And that's the very first thing we have. And I just almost hear you guys just shouting out joy for this very first phrase. What if it was like this? Guilty. I pounded it. I did. I did. I pounded this. He said I pounded it. Okay. How would you like to hear... If you are in a court of law, guilty, and it's slammed on you, guilty. Well, if you stand before a judge and if you've done something wrong and it's proven, that's what a, a judge who is righteous will have to do. He'll have to proclaim you guilty. And that is what we are all guilty of as far as sin against the Holy God. Uh, of course, Romans 3 has already produced that, and we won't go too much into this, but we're talking about that great doctrine, the doctrine of the depravity of man, or 
the radical corruption in the heart of mankind. I mean, everybody is in this condition. And in Romans 3, verse 10, there is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. Now, you can, we can just keep on reading. You guys are probably very familiar with this text. Um, but I'll, I'll probably just move on. But all have turned aside, right? Uh, these are quotes right out of the Old Testament. Paul puts them together and says, boom, you are condemned. And that's everybody, religious, non-religious, doesn't matter, man, woman, child, anybody who's ever been born is condemned. And because of Adam and Eve, they were condemned too. But we're also thankful for God's grace. Uh, But we'll we'll go to another verse, uh, verse 23. Uh, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's one of the definitions. And fallen short of the glory of God. Fallen short of the glory of God. Um, J.C. Ryle, guy goes back a little over a hundred years ago or so, uh, wrote this about the corruption of mankind. Sin pervades, runs through every part of our moral constitution. In every faculty of our minds, the understanding, the affections, the reasoning powers, the will are all infected. Every part. Every part of us. Every part of our mind, our emotions, our will, our whole being. And also, the creation is really affected too. We had a really mean storm that came through. <laughs> I, I almost pulled aside, but I'm telling you, it, it reminded me of, you know, God is gracious in giving us rain. But I wonder if if there wasn't sin, would we have these terrible torrential rainfalls that just blast and tear things up? <laughs> I don't see that in the in the ultimate run of it all. But he, you know, of course, he uses all this, and this is part of his his plan. But um, it, it comes back to mankind and sin and how that affected everything. We're we're guilty. We're condemned by God, and God is just in pronouncing. The death penalty. The death sentence. Uh, Romans 3.8. What does it say there? Romans 3.8. That Romans 3. Boy, we're not going to spend any time in this. <laughs> we want to get to Romans 8. What's the deal? Why are we in Romans 3? Why not say, as we are slanderously reported in some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. Condemnation is just. I mean, He is a God who is perfect. So knowing our radical depravity, our radical corruption, that is the heart of man. That's all the time really we're probably going to spend on this because our text says, therefore there is now no condemnation. Knowing this, this first verse is the best news possible for anyone. For, for Can you believe this? This is saying there is no judgment. What kind of news is this? It's great. You know, we hear about the good news. Here it is. There's no condemnation. The judge could do that. Charles Wesley, who wrote uh, many hymns, said, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in Him is mine. Because of what what He's done. Uh, this, This verse here, I think, has been called by many as the most hopeful verse in Scripture. A lot of hopeful verses just all over the place, but um, you can't deny the fact that is very hopeful. There's no condemnation. No gavel on us. And we know we deserve it. Because none of us outside of ourselves, I mean, in ourselves, is uh, just at all. There's nothing here that's any good. Uh, so, uh, one of the greatest questions of all time is how is it possible for the guilty to be not guilty to be not condemned Martin Luther realized that he was a sinner realized that he was guilty and he was mad at God because he knew he couldn't get righteous he realized it was impossible he tried it tried everything that he could and uh, of course, you know, he confessed his sin, 
read scripture, did everything that he possibly could do in his religiosity. But, um, you know, Romans 1.17, he finally realized that the just shall live by faith, and realized what that was, being declared righteous. Um, a lot of the gospel is right here. When we're talking about no condemnation, um, we have to also be thinking about justification because that's on the flip side of it. If we're, if we're not condemned, then that means we've been justified even though we don't deserve to be justified. There's no reason. It's, you know, it, it's all uh, of Christ. So we get that word therefore, and the therefore usually points back to the last passage that we've been dealing with, but from most of the commentators that I have read, uh, rather than just Romans 7, um, where, as a matter of fact, he's even proclaimed, uh, uh, O wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death. And thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind and serving the law of God, but on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. Uh, going back through, let's say, all of the book of Romans. And especially when we get into the near the end of Romans 3, and Romans 3 has already condemned us, and in 3 and then in 4 it talks about that great word, justification. And with justification, by faith alone, by grace alone, we now see the answer. So therefore it can be pointing back to all of that and saying there's no condemnation. Uh, because of what he's done. He's reminding us of what, what he's talked about. So in Romans uh, 8, we get to see the results of justification and, and what happens there in the believer. So the answer, and the great question for anybody, I think this would be one of the greatest questions that anybody could ever ask. How can I be just before a holy God? And it's answered uh, right here. We know that it's in the work of Christ those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Uh, there's the gospel. The heart of the gospel uh, gives us the answer. Um, and you know what the gospel is saying? Nothing in my hands I bring. Have you ever heard of this song before? You got it? Simply to the cross I cling. It's saying, I can't bring him anything. Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, what did he say? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit that recognize they have nothing to offer this great God. So God provides salvation. And so we, we know that uh, the perfect sacrifice is there. We're no longer condemned. Katakrima uh, is the word there, which really uh, the focus is on, on the penalty. Uh, the penalty that the verdict demands. The verdict is demanding that there be a penalty. And we'll never get it. We will never get that punishment. No condemnation. Man, that is great news. No condemnation. Condemnation contrasted with justification, a legal declaration to be declared righteous even though we are not. Martin Luther said it's kind of like, in ourselves, um, it's like a pile of manure out in the fields out in the wintertime and it snows and it's snow covered. You can't see what's there. It's like the flesh. And uh, there it's, we're covered by the blood of Christ. His righteousness. We are dressed in His righteous clothes. So condemnation, justification, the sin debt is paid and whatever sins we commit tomorrow, guess what? They're taken care of. Whatever sins we commit next year, the next ten years, it's all been paid for. No condemnation. The gavel doesn't come down. I can't pound this anymore. (laughs) We are cleansed and we're forgiven. We're given the righteousness of Christ. And even better, as we move on to uh, the end of this section, or actually probably into next week, is adoption. Which is even better than justification. We're put into the family of God. Or what about this? Well, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now it qualifies it for the ones that have no condemnation. The ones who are outside of Christ have condemnation written all over them. But the answer is in Christ. And our state uh, really is that's where we're at. 
makes all the difference for the rest of eternity. And uh, in the Institutes that Calvin wrote, just a sentence here, as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from Him, all that He has suffered remains useless and of no value for us. Therefore, to share with us what He has received from the Father, He had to become ours to dwell within us. Wow. We have to be in Christ. United in Him. There's no condemnation for the ones in Christ. That's how He will see you as righteousness. We're we're united in Him. I think it's one of the most profound mysteries of all of the history of mankind. This in Christ. Being placed into Him. We're a part of Him. His own divine life resides in us. You know, He's in us. We're in Him. Galatians 2.20 Therefore it is now no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. How do I describe that? How far can I take that in my human thinking? I can't much. All I can say is that He lives here. He dwells in me. It's an incredible thought. Um, All Christ's righteousness as He lives in us is ours. All of His righteousness is ours. No condemnation on that. Uh, Luther said this, everything which Christ has becomes the property of the believing soul. Everything the soul has becomes the property of Christ. And remember, that's not much to offer, is it? It's not anything. <laughs> but it became Him. Christ possesses all blessings and eternal life. They are thenceforward the property of the soul. And the soul has all its iniquities and sins and thenceforward becomes the property of Christ. And it's called the blessed exchange. And that's when it commences. That's the cross. The great exchange. My sin went to Him. He took it all. Put it there on the cross. And of course all His righteousness is put on us. Those sins are um, abolished. They were done away with in Him. What He did. So we're clothed with that righteousness. The basis of our acceptance is entirely because of what Christ has done and who He is. Then the next one in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. I think I'm... Did I title this something like that? Yeah, free from sin and death. I was titling this whole uh, thing we're doing tonight. Uh, It's it's the higher law. You you have the Ten Commandment law. You have the the Old Covenant. That's a law. it's It's a great law. It did its job for what it was supposed to do. But this is a higher law. It's a higher law of the Spirit. From the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Uh, Our minds are to be set on the things of the Spirit, as verse 6 will say. Uh, We're indwelt. We're given life by the Holy Spirit, uh, verses 9 through 11. Uh, John 3, 5, that that great uh, passage with Nicodemus and Jesus and there the Holy Spirit is involved. By the way, Romans 8 sometimes is considered to be called uh, the Holy Spirit chapter. You see the Holy Spirit all the way through there. And you think of intercession and then putting us into Christ, all the action He did. Uh, 3.5 Jesus answered said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You have to be born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes in, you think of Titus uh, chapter uh, 3, 5 and 6. Oh, the Gospel. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? He saved us not on the basis of deeds, anything that we've done, which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Talking about heirs. That's what we'll be dealing with next week. And uh, being in the family of God. I'm excited about that. Uh, 
So the Holy Spirit bestows and energizes. The Spirit brings the life in us. The Holy Spirit is working work in us that is just incredible. It's going on now. If I went just a half of a moment, I don't even know what a half a moment is. If I just went a half a moment without without Christ, without the Holy Spirit, do you know that I would, by my nature, have a tendency to go away from God? Immediately. I, I would lose interest in Him. I would not even want to have anything to do with Him. The Holy Spirit is working that work. He's, he's the one who keeps us. And it, it just, it's just amazing. I'm just, I'm just amazed how God can do that. Because I know myself and what my flesh would like to do. Yeah, this gives hopes to, uh, to all of us. Because it's the Holy Spirit who works in us. But we are to be obedient in working that out. Right? And Philippians talks about that. Life in the Spirit. The new life in Christ. And uh, we were, getting, we're given life. It's that spiritual life. That means there was something dead then, wasn't there? has to be life. Okay, verse 3 gets us into substitution. Boy, all the doctrines that are here. No condemnation, justification here. Uh, Holy Spirit coming in and... In, uh, Renewing us, regenerating us. And then verse 3, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Substitution. This may be (laughs) the most definitive verse on substitutionary atonement. There, There are plenty. In all the Bible. The heart of the gospel could be brought right out of verse 3 right there. Uh, we couldn't follow the law. law couldn't save us. But God sends His Son and He's like sinful flesh. He takes on and there's the substitution. Jesus pays the penalty on behalf of the elect. There has to be a payment made and the payment is made. Believers are set free. And... Uh, we see that there's no penalty on us. We've been given life, and it's what Christ did for us. Uh, the law can only condemn. That's what it's really good. It condemns. It shows us our sin. It's a great standard. It cannot save. It was never designed to save. The law sits there and says, ha, sin, 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 just all over the place. I mean, it's just there, right in front of us. Uh, what a mirror, James talks about that. It only sets forth the great high standard of God. So the law is good, as Paul has already mentioned in Romans 7. The law is a good thing. It showed him his sin. It showed his covetousness. And he realized for the first time that, oh my, I am a sinner. I am in the need to get my sin taken care of. He saw that. The law did it. The law did its job. That's all it can do. can't say law can't say Christ had to come in the likeness of sinful flesh this is an act of substitution and so that great high doctrine substitutionary atonement comes into play right here in verse 3 after we've talked about no condemnation I think of that great verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 you guys probably know it very well He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, substituting for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How can I be right before a holy God? Well, somebody had to take my place and substitute for me and and give me his righteousness as I made the trade with him of my unrighteousness. Jesus came as close to us as he possibly could He had to take on flesh. He had to be like man. He did take on flesh. The only differences between him and us as he took on flesh, he didn't have the sin. Uh, But he took the sin on at the cross as he um, punished that sin so that we wouldn't be condemned. Incredible thought. The law can condemn the sinner. sure does a good job of it. But only God can condemn and destroy sin. At the end of verse 3, He condemned sin in the flesh. There we go. 
the offering for sin. He gave Himself up on the cross. He broke the power of sin. We still sin as Christians, but the power has absolutely been broken. It has no hold on us anymore and and that we owe anything to God. God is the one who destroys the sin. Jesus bore the sins there and uh, bore the sins of many. Hebrews 9.28 talks about. So, let's put together some really high doctrinal terms. Uh, It's a sacrifice, right? And uh, so it's sacrificial atonement. It's also a penal atonement in that it has to be punished. So we have a sacrificial penal atonement. We have a sacrificial penal substitutionary atonement in that He had to take our place. And that's what our verse here is dealing with. But I also like to think it's also expiatory in that it cast away the sin that we just talked about. So it's a sacrificial, penal, substitutionary, expiatory atonement. And let's add one more. It's propitiatory in that it satisfies the just demands of God. So we have a sacrificial, penal, substitutionary, expiation, propitiatory atonement. Are there more? (laughs) Are you kidding me? I had to cheat here looking at it. <laughs> but, and then you say, well, what's, what's the big deal? At? Well, those are, might be high. Those are probably at least $50 words, aren't they? $100 words. Yeah. Something like that. What, what does the expiation mean? E- expiatory, expiation. Ex is like exit. It means to take away the sin, to, to take it out. Uh, you remember the, the, the goats? Mm-hmm. And, and that sacrifice in the Old Testament and one of them was to be sacrificed and the other goat was to be let loose and to go off out into the wilderness to go out of the city in fact the, the sins were placed I mean they, it was, they were placed on the goat in a, in a ceremonial exactly. way and then it was sent out exactly identification with uh, with that goat, I'm putting my sin on right. this, exactly. this goat. And, and of course, this is for the nation here. So, and and then he goes, then he goes out. And uh, of course, Jesus Christ was taken outside the city mm-hmm. as he was crucified. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, that was expiatory, expiation. Big, big term. A uh, big seminary term we just throw out for free. You get it free tonight. I'm not going to charge you fifty dollars. <laughs> no, I, do you see what it means? It, it's simple when it comes across. You know, whether we use a big word, big fancy word, or it's saying, "Oh yeah, I knew that. I knew he took the sin away." That's really what it is. But sometimes it, we can frame that up and say it was an atonement. God was satisfied with that. Atonement is the covering. Of course, in the Old Testament, we know about the atonement, right? The atonement seat that covers. Uh, really the the sin of course the blood was to be put on there and of course it's all dealing with the the father and God is pleased with the sacrifice that was done there and, uh, and back, all the way back to the Holy of Holies well, we go into verse 4 now and it says um, of chapter 8 of Hebrews or Hebrews Romans we just went from Romans to Hebrews we're moving right along folks alright <laughs> So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Key word here this time is walk. Uh, Because of what He's done here, the the requirement of the law has already been met because of what Christ did, not us. And we say, boy, I'm glad. I thought I was going to have to do something in in this whole religious thing, this Christianity. It seems like you have to do this and do that and go through all these motions. Uh, No, that's... Uh, far from it. Um, here's here's what it is. <laughs> you have to trust in that sacrifice that we just talked about there. That that he took the place. He takes the place of us. Now we trust in that. Now Paul is not speaking of justification here necessarily in verse four as he has been, but of the sanctifying work because of the justification that he did. He did sanctify you there, but sanctifying is a process that goes on and on all throughout our lives in this body. And so there's a sanctifying work. If you're a Christian, you are being sanctified. You are doing works in the name of Christ. Uh, You have the desire and the ability 
to now follow Christ, to obey Christ. Matter of fact, you even want to do that. It's your desire. Whereas before it was not your desire, you did not want to do it. And by the way, Romans, as we get to it here, will say, you couldn't do it. You cannot. You don't want to. It's not your nature. Um, it's not a nature for... Um, well, it's a, the nature of a bird to fly. But you say uh, to your favorite dog, you say, now you get up. You see that bird? You get up there and fly too. Uh, he doesn't have that nature. And no matter how much you tell him, and no matter how many biscuits you give him, he's not going to go fly. <laughs> so his nature is not going to do it. And that's the way it is with somebody who's dead spiritually. They need life. Oh man, the gospel is good news. Doesn't it make you want to shout? <laughs> wow, this this Romans eight, Paul just is just hammering, but he's going to bring it in, and he's going to get a little bit deeper here. God frees us so that now we can live a righteous life. Couldn't before. Now we can. Matter of fact, it is possible, and it will happen. Mm-hmm. You, you, you will do that. You will live a righteous life. You will please Him. Uh, it won't. Always happen. There is there's an there's a brokenness, you know, to us, and sometimes we we uh, we don't please him. Uh, but Derek Thomas said um, this: most likely, Christians whose sins are forgiven now live in a holy, obedient gratitude for the grace they have received. A gratitude, a thanksgiving. That's why we want to do the things we do. That's why we're meeting here tonight. We don't do this out of sense of obligation. Hey, I'm going to show up. Um, they need some numbers there. And, and I hear there's some guy out of town, some Jeff City or somewhere, I don't know. And he's going to be there. Maybe I ought to show up. No, you guys showed up because that you wanted to worship Jesus Christ. I mean, you didn't come here for Dennis Helton. I hope that not be the case because you're going to be extremely disappointed. <laughs> but if we're here to worship God, man, that has come from Him. That was His Holy Spirit that uh, worked that in there. Uh, Augustine said this, Grace was given for one reason, that the law might be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So not only Christ fulfilled it, but we're fulfilling the law by the new covenant because of the power that that is working in us. Galatians 5.25 says, let us walk by the Spirit. Here in Romans uh, 8.4, he says, do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We walk according to the Holy Spirit. We are doing that. But we want we want to have this desire to even walk more, uh, and it's God's desire that He's put in us, and we walk in the power of the Spirit, and we can do that now. We are enabled. We've been given a shot of life, <laughs> and we can do it. Okay, that's part one. We go into part two, and this is the fleshly minded, verses five through eight. Okay, we've talked about um, the fact of there is no condemnation and there's justification and there's substitution and there's sanctification. Now we look at the fleshly minded and you have a little bit of both. You have the fleshly minded and you have the spiritual minded. What we're going to do is first of all take the fleshly minded in 5 through 8 and uh, kind of focus on that and then uh, also in 5 through 8 are the ones who are setting their mind on the Spirit and especially 9 through 11 we'll kind of cover it there. Uh, John Owen said, Our thoughts are like the blossoms on a tree. Uh, have you seen the uh, the apple trees come out this year around here? The nice white blossoms come out? They didn't last very long this year. Did you notice that? I think that's when we were having the hot weather. And then we had some other trees that came out. and They lasted a few days. Uh, they bloomed. It's really pretty. They fell off onto the ground. And you look out there and where's that color at? I had yellow forsythias. That lasted three or four days. That, that's gone. And now I look at my apple tree and those flowers are gone. And, and you go, oh, they just fell down to the ground. And really, uh, it didn't even produce any fruit. <laughs> there's no fruit there yet. Right? Well, they're on their way, right? But um, there are some thoughts that do produce good fruit. But there's some thoughts that produce bad fruit. Um, ordinarily, when you have a voluntary thought, 
I think it's a good indicator of where we're at in our walk with the Lord. Um, what do you think when you're not thinking? <laughs> think about that one. You know what I'm talking about. What do you do? What do you think when you're you're not thinking about anything in particular? It's almost impossible just to not think, right? So you, you got a mode, you got a little bit of time where you don't have to be uh, doing anything on your job. You don't have to be, you don't have to be studying. You don't have to be doing anything. You have a few minutes to yourself. What do you think about? Confess. I'm thinking about how good the Cardinals are doing. It's okay. It's all right. It's all right. But sometimes. Maybe there's room to be thinking about more things of the things of God rather than uh, have all these other things. John Scott said the major secret of holy living lies in the mind. And you'll notice the word mind here in 5 through 8 is really a key word. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Verse 6, for the mind set on the flesh is death. Verse 7, because the mind set on flesh is hostile toward God. Uh, and you keep reading through there, you keep seeing that keep coming up. But what we think really matters then. It really does matter. Romans 12 will eventually tell us to renew our minds. Keep renewing the minds, right? Okay, there are two types of people who think. There, there are the fleshly minded and there are the spiritually minded. Now, the fleshly minded are the ones who represent the unregenerate. So he says, for those who are according to the flesh. And so when he's talking about the flesh here, these are the ones who are not according to the spirit. So what does that leave us? Leaves us the unbeliever. For the, and, and some of this can't apply. You know, sometimes we as Christians can operate out of the flesh. You've heard of that. Mm-hmm. When we're not pleasing God, then we're operating out of the flesh. Well, but as a rule, as a whole, here the best way to interpret this: you have a believer and have an unbeliever. Um, and, and the believer has the Holy Spirit. The unbeliever doesn't have the Holy Spirit. The believer has life. The unbeliever doesn't have life. For those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Uh, their thoughts are earthbound. Uh, they're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The word here is franeo. It's dealing with the mind. It's the bent, the orientation, the thought patterns that go on here. That's that's the idea. The mind, the thought, the thinking. Franeo. The basic bent of the unredeemed is to indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires. Can't do anything else. That's what it's going to do. It may think on... Some maybe doing some neighborly things and doing some good things for people and, and do a lot of that, but we're talking about spiritual things here. They, they can't do those kind of things. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 10. Second Peter 2.10. And uh, Peter talks about... Um, I like verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. Uh, the God, you know what? God does that. He's the one that takes us out of temptation, right? And to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially, here we go, verse 10, those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Ultimately, the authority of God. Uh, they indulge the flesh in corrupt desires. That's they're thinking. That's the way they're going to think. That's the nature. That the nature has to be changed, right? That's that's the thought. Um, the basic ban is there. And that can go into false religions, things that seem to be right and good, philosophies. They're blind, they're insensitive to the beauties of the kingdom of God. If you're a Christian, there's where your mind goes to a lot. You think of the garden. Adam and Eve and how perfect it was and Adam had the best surrounding that man has ever had in his history and he had the most perfect wife a wife without sin he was perfect without sin the environment was perfect there was nothing bad whatsoever never a sin never a a bad thought or anything And, and we're looking at this and we're saying wow what happened why couldn't that gone on right 
And you get to thinking, uh, when sin came, all of a sudden their thinking went went south. Wouldn't it be great to get that back again? Matter of fact, not only back again, but even better than that. God has a better situation than this. We we're still in a sin-infested world, um, but we love to think about that kingdom of God and the beauty of it. And when you think when you're around a perfect God, a perfect environment. And all glorified people, can you imagine anything better? Said that word imagine. Throw this out to you. Remember John Lennon and wrote a song called Imagine? Imagine there's no heaven. I used to sing that song way back in the sixties. What in the world was I thinking? Right? Imagine if there's no heaven. That's where we're gunning for. This is the ultimate without sin, a perfect place. God offers that. Man, I can't think of anything else but that. That's where we're really shooting for. Well, if you don't know God, that's the kind of thing you think of. And that was a best-selling song. I bet it would probably appear in the top 100 songs of the Beatles. Probably the top 50 and maybe even the top 20. And maybe even better than that. You know what? It's rated highly amongst people today. People love that song. I wonder, do they even know what they're saying? Hmm. Philippians 3.19 Whose end is destruction whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Well, why would they set it on heavenly things? They don't have a desire for heavenly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. This is the good news we want to tell people who don't know about that so they can focus their minds on these great things. Oh man, you really need to realize there's something better than all this. Spirituality. Verse 6. For the mind set on the flesh is death. The spiritual mind, life and peace. Verse 7. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. He doesn't necessarily say that the unregenerate say this. How can my... How can I destroy my life today? (laughs) What else can I do? I want to destroy my life. No, 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 no. They're not necessarily saying that. Um, Matter of fact, the path may even look pretty good. Things are going good. It's great, you know. But Jesus, or, or God's word says, it leads to destruction. Is that where it's going? Somebody needs to tell people that are lost on this road that they think that's the right way that I'm telling you it's going to destruction. I think that should convict us to be able to tell that news to them. Oh man, they have a relentless anti-God energy. And Why am I talking about all this? Because it's in Romans 8 here. <laughs> it tells what we once were. This is where we were hostile towards God and we were going to death. And it makes you want to shout and sing Amazing Grace. <laughs> Why do we like to sing that song? Because we realize it wasn't us that got us delivered out of that terrible bondage. Uh, my, uh, hostile to God. Are you talking about me? I, I was hostile to God. Yeah, we were enemy sinners, it says in Romans. Romans 5. We were enemies. We, we hated it. Satan tries to get those people to think they don't think they're hostile to God. Exactly. You're not hostile with God, you know. Bingo. But they are, really. Exactly. Uh, just go to 2 Corinthians 4 4. This is exactly what you're saying. You are you hit it right on the head. What's going on? How come? How come this? Verse 3. 4 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's not really seen through. It's veiled to those who are perishing. They're perishing. There are people out there lost. They're they're perishing. They're dying. In whose case the God of this world, and who is that? Satan. Has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. He's duped them. He duped us for so long. 
Some of us went a long time, some of us not very long. But he duped us, he blinded us. What a deceiver! I think that's what he's called, isn't it? He's a deceiver. Blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Oh, I like that verse 4. That explains where I was at. I was just going along blindly, saying, Imagine. <laughs> Imagine there's no heaven or whatever. So that I wouldn't see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, the glory of Christ. Man, that's got to be amazing. The glory of Christ. Man, I want to see that. I want to see whatever the biggest and best, greatest thing there is. The gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. The good news. The happiness. Well, but it's this blessed good news. John Calvin said this, man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. Even in my Christian walk, I make idols. My factory is producing idols. Things that have put, are put ahead of, ahead of God. Oh, where did that come from? Why, why did I do that? Uh, we have an ability to create an idol. It knows no limits. <laughs> All our actions have to be done with a view to glorify God. Chief end of man is to glorify God. You were made for one reason, to glorify God. And by the way, to enjoy Him forever. That's not a bad deal, is it? To enjoy Him forever. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. I command you, we have a view to glorify God. That's what we're about. Um, the unbelieving uh, don't want to glorify God. They can't please God. They have no resources. They're not capable. So we look at that in verse 7. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. It's not, it doesn't have the power to do it. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That is one of the most riveting verses in the Bible along with Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 about how dead the, the unregenerate man is. And that's everybody except for the ones that have been placed into Christ. Uh, they're hostile towards God. They're enemies. And, and then we see here they cannot. It's impossible to please God. No matter how much you do. If you come up there like uh, Cain did with his fruit offered to God... And God said, "That's not what I asked for." Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know Abel's sacrifice. Abel was righteous. He brought what God expected him to. We can't bring anything to Him. We come empty and say, "I want Your sacrifice to cover my sins." Boy, what we think really matters, doesn't it? Wow. Okay. Well, in nine through eleven, we have part three. And part three is dealing with the spiritual-minded. Thomas Goodwin, a Puritan, said he would, uh, used to ask his college students, and, and this is the question, are you ready to die? Am I ready to die? Can you imagine their responses? Are you ready to die? What happens when you die? Where are you going to go? Oh, really? How do you know that? Are you for sure? Right? Are you ready to die? The secret to inner peace is that we are prepared for death of this body. We don't really die. We have life. We're already seen. We have life, but we have the body. The body's going to die. We already know that. We're giving we're giving witnesses of that every day. People die. They have funerals. But we here in the West, we try to deny death. We try to cover it up. Uh, we defy it. Everything we can, we don't want to talk about it. But that's probably one of the biggest questions that anybody could ever ask in their life. If their life is important to them, they would ask, I wonder what's going to happen when I die. Yeah, I'm living in this life, but I know I'm going to die. Everybody else has. I'm sure I will. What happens? Pretty important question. Spiritually minded know life in its fullest. They know it's Jesus Christ. He's the life. Holy Spirit's in me. That is the life. The life I have now is eternal life. 
And when my body dies, I still are, I am already in eternal life. I already have that. Uh, the, the, the Puritans constantly encouraged their flocks. Um, it's kind of a Latin subspecies, Aeronitis, something like that. Uh, from the standpoint of eternity, that's really how they address their congregation. Life in the world is viewed as a pilgrimage to the next. And of course, you think of Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan. Uh, you know, we're going to be trans. Uh, just we're, we're going to cross that river, but uh, we, we know what's there. Matter of fact, we're more sure about that than we are what's going to happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have been guaranteed through the Scripture. Right. So we, uh, you know, life now is just a stage that we pass through. And you say, well, what's this? have to do with this. Well, we, we have life. We know where it's all going. We have the indwelling Spirit. Verse 9 says, however, you are not in the flesh. He's talking now, it's like he turns over here to this this group of people says, but you're not in the flesh. He's saying, you're a believer. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, well then you're a believer. Okay? You're not in the flesh. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. Some people say Holy Spirit um, uh, can come and go out of people. Um, we're talking about in the, in the Christian realm here. Um, Pentecostalism says some people have the Holy Spirit and some don't. Wow, really? Well, according to Romans 8, it says if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not dwelling in you, you're not, you're not of the Spirit. <laughs> and he'll say that again here as we breathe, uh, breathe through here. Uh, but a Christian has the indwelling spirit. He makes his home in us. Oikeo. That's his home. Home, right here. In the whole body of Christ, he makes his home there. Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit is the personal representative of Jesus Christ. You think of John sixteen seven. Jesus um, told the disciples that he had to leave, but when he comes, the Holy Spirit... I mean, when... Uh, Holy, he's going to send the Holy Spirit when, of course, after he dies. And in John sixteen seven, said, "I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Helper, perfectly, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. He uh, so many passages. You can see how the Holy Spirit led Jesus Christ while He was here on the earth. He led Him into the wilderness, and uh, you know this. This is uh, it's a beautiful thing how the Trinity, the Triune God, work together in Christ. We're in the Spirit. The Spirit lives in us. We're in union with the Spirit of God. The Spirit is alive. In verse ten, um, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Because of the divinely imparted righteousness by which every believer has. Every believer is justified. And the Holy Spirit lives there. And going a little bit further, but the Spirit of Him, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it's the Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's a powerful Spirit. Holy Spirit is very powerful. He brought life to a man who was dead. The God-man came to life. Holy Spirit was all a part of that. The Spirit gives life. That same life that resurrected Him is in us. Living in us. We know that. But that that's because you have been led by the Spirit of God to understand that deep truth. Rather incredible, isn't it? Um, just a few minutes. A couple of minutes. Yeah, verse 12 and 13. So then, brethren, so then, therefore, right? We are under obligation, not to the flesh. Boy, doesn't that <laughs> set you at ease. We're not under obligation to the flesh. To live according to the flesh. We've been taken out of that. And then verse 13. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But we already died. Christians died at the cross in one sense. 
Our sins were taken in. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He's saying if you're a true Christian, you are going to do the things of God. You are going. Matter of fact, I call this the killing fields. Because this is the Christian in action. And he will put to death the deeds. For one thing, they already have been put to death. But they are being put to death in our walk. So there's a reality of this. It has, but it is going on. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Our life is not characterized by anything worldly, fleshly anymore, but by the things of God. The believer's responsibility now is to kill sin in his life. That's why we call it the, the, the killing fields. Um, mortification. To kill, to cut off, to starve, to mutilate. That's what we are to do with uh, our sins. And we're exhorted here. Uh, David Brown said this, if, if you don't kill sin, sin will kill you. Wow. John Owen said this, the choicest believers who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin ought to make it their business all their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin. If any of you have read John Owen, uh, one of his, uh, usually his, some of his greatest works are dealing with the mortification of sin. The indwelling sin. And being able to defeat it. To, to beat it. Um, he went on to say, Suppose a man to be a true believer and yet finds in himself a powerful indwelling sin leading him captive to the law of it. We've been there. Consuming his heart with trouble, perplexing his thoughts, weakening his soul as to duties of communion with God, disquieting him as to peace, and perhaps defiling his conscience and exposing him to hardening through the deceitfulness of sin. What shall he do? That sounds like Romans 7. That's where Paul was at, wasn't it? What course shall he take and insist on the mortification of sin, lust, distemper, or corruption? What are we to do with the sin that's remaining in us? Kill it. <laughs> Colossians 3, I think it's verse 5. Uh, kill it. Stop it. Mortify it. The importance of mortification is not to show sin any mercy. You just destroy it uh, outright. There's no peace with sin. And it's not to be spared. It's to be strangled, to be starved, to be choked. Jesus said, tear it out. Cut it off. You remember that? If anything comes between you and God is really what it comes down to. Whatever it is. Do and Now, it sounds like a legalistic thing and I have to take about one minute just to clarify all this. Can sins be really killed? Yeah, they can. You can say, well, I have this ongoing sin against this. Well, I'll tell you what. That's okay because I have the same battle too and we all do. But never be complacent. Realize 1 John 1, 9, you have forgiveness. Right? And He he continues to, to forgive that sin. But never be indifferent about sin. John Owen said, His blood is the great sovereign remedy for sin-sick souls. Just go back to the cross. Through the providence of God, live to see thy lust dead at thy feet. We either kill sin or it will kill us. It's by the grace of God. And that's what I want to end on. Uh, there's an imperative here that's already... It's a command, but there's also it's indicative here. You know, He loves us, and it's not, He loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Realize the, the grace. And, and, and we want to realize all the consequences of sin are not worth it. Sin affects all the, the ones in, in, in the church. We don't want legalism though in trying to kill the sin. It's just realizing our identity with who we started this. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're hidden with Christ Sin is inconsistent with our identity. If we just look at Christ, look at the cross, and realize, why did I just do that? Why do I want to do this? Mm-hmm. Recognize sin in our lives. Number one. Number two, have your heart fixed on God. Number three, meditate on God's Word. Number four, commune regularly with God in prayer. Praying always, right? Boy, short list of sins. Boy, that'll, that'll take mm-hmm. that sin out. 
and practice obedience. And it is a practice. And it's a thing about learning obedience, being confident in the power of the Spirit. It's all the grace of God that does that, not in the flesh. We can't do it. We've already been told that. And we did 13 verses. Thank you for your extra three and a half minutes. And I think I am done. Did you want me to close with prayer? Do you have anything to say there? Okay. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for this just awesome evening that uh, you have given us uh, to be able to gather together. And I'm overwhelmed. I'm amazed by uh, even the privilege of being with God's people here in this God godly church that believes and teaches the Bible and lives the Bible out. Uh, there are people who are committed to you. And uh, I can't say enough thanks just for this privilege. But... Uh, Lord, thank you for all this grand doctrine and this practice that you've given us just in this uh, little section here. And uh, we just want to, um, as we go out of here, realize there's a mission field. As soon as we hit the door and go out there, there are people who are lost that need to hear this good news, the saving message of Jesus Christ that will take people out of their sin into your saving grace because of Christ and the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.